Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at GoHunt.com Insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to KUIU.com, Kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast. This is a collect call from Jay Scott. Do you want to receive the charges? Hell no. (laughs) Is it whitetail season yet, buddy? It is actually open right now. If you want to come out and climb in the stand, you could. How fast is the truck? Do you just have the ears pinned back just getting out of Arizona and Colorado as fast as you, as far away from elk season as you possibly can? Dude. What elk season? <laughs> I mean, goodness. All I'm hearing is absolute horror stories from Arizona. It, it's, there's no two ways about it. I, I talked to everybody from, now I talked to a lot of people this year from outfitters, long-term, out, long-time outfitters to just people that have lived in the area and hunted for a long time. I mean, from nine to seven west, 70, 6A, 6B, 5B, dead. Just dead. Now, yeah, is there a little flare up here, a little pocket? Oh, there's a bolt that's bugling. Yay! And then, of course, 20 different guys just all pile in on it, you know, because it's the only bolt that's bugled in two weeks. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it was, it just, it was by far, and I, I, I tend to agree with this, it was by far the hardest elk season that I've ever experienced while knowing elk are right there. You know what I mean? It, 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 they're hitting water every night. They're nocturnal. And, I mean, we we would go and, and just 
I'd call my way through some of the Pinions Universe stuff to where, I mean, you could sit there with Pinox, and you could literally watch them move across the landscape. You could see where they were going to bed. We knew where they were betting. And we'd just slip in there, and we'd work our way in, and I'd call a little bit, work our way, call a little bit. Then all of a sudden, stop, you're like, oh, crap. There's an elk bedded 30 yards in front of us. There she is. Not one care in the world about a cow call. Not one care in the world about a bugle. They didn't care about anything. Now, later on, as it started, we started getting those last couple days of the season, there was a couple little squeals. But again, I mean, they just... Just it, it didn't matter. So either you spot and stalk and get snipered one, or you sat water. That was that was that strategy that anybody that did kill, which was very rare, but anybody that did kill an elk, that's pretty much how they had to do it. They either spot stalked it or they sat water. Um, Guys, it, it was wrong. You're listening to Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. We're on the podcast. We're getting an elk recap from Chris. He's on his way back. Headed east, headed back to Kansas, looking forward to whitetail hunting. Um, Chris, I want to get your thoughts, and I mean, I kind of want more just of a recap, and we can dive into, you know, dive deep later. But, uh, you know, so much experience hunting in Unit 9, and you have 7 West this year. Talk about what you immediately noticed between 9 and 7 West uh, right off the bat. People. Given the fact that how close Seven West is to Flag Gap Williams, I just did not fathom the level of recreational activity and the number of people camping in the woods each weekend. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was it was insane. Now, granted, okay, so and I don't know if this is technically correct, but if I remember right, looking at the map, Seven West. What, like half the size or two thirds the size of nine. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a smaller smaller than nine anyway. But there's 200 tags in the unit. So you're 150 bull tags, and you had 100 or excuse me, you had 150 bull tags, and you had 50 cow tags. You had 200 people in there actively hunting. And like you know, with a lot of uh, folks that draw, I mean, like there was guys that it took 15 years, you know, 15 points to, to draw that that plus tag. Um, they're going to bring their their buddies and their family, and I mean, there, there's going to be multiple people assisting, and so that those 200 individuals quickly multiplied to probably 400 to 500 that are just there to hunt, you know, or be involved with hunting, and then you have all of the other people that come up there to camp and just you know recreate and you know run the racers around in the, on the forest. So the people that that was just I wow. Well, wow. I mean, the reality is it's some of the prettiest forest that close to oh, Flagstaff. Yeah. And honestly, from Phoenix, you know, about the closest forest where you could just get right to quickly right off the interstate and have that real pretty Ponderosa pine forest. You know, you probably yep. had, a, you know, 400 that were related to hunting, but I would argue that you probably had 400 that were also unrelated to hunting that were just recreating. Easily, easily. The, I mean, the places you would find camps. I mean, that's the thing that that was the other. I mean, it, obviously it's related to people, but I mean, you had camps. I mean, 
you'd look at a map, okay, you, 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 whether it's your Onyx or you, you, you get your flatline map or whatever, you look at it and say, okay, we got roads here, we got roads there, we got water here, we got water there. All right, well, how far can I get away from people and tuck myself back into maybe a pocket of sanctuary where some help might be? You know, you look at the map, you're like, man, that looks really good right there. We're going to go in there in the morning, or I'm going to go up there this, this evening, and I'm going to go listen. I'm going to I'm going to try to find help. You roll in there, and and there's a, there's a camper right with, there. I mean, like right in the middle. I'm like, who's why? What? <laughs> why would you camp here? Nope. Somebody said, I'm going to get a weasel in, get tucked out of the way, and. Okay, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a camp there, okay? So we're going to have to try to figure out where the elk are going now. Yeah, that makes it real tough, doesn't it? Oh, man. See, and, and literally, there was a couple times where we were actively hunting, walking through the timber, to only come over a hill and just walk right into a, a hidden little camp. It's like, well, well that sucks. <laughs> it's just, okay, well, uh, plan B, I guess. So the, the number of people was the biggest shocker, and then and then I've, everybody dealt with it. The, the, just how dry, just just how dry this year was, and the lack of forage. Did you get any bugling at all during daylight? Uh, the last couple, so September tenth, night before the season, and a cut. Well, basically ninth and tenth, I had a little basin that had three different bulls in it and a bunch of cows. And they were bugling like I'm not not aggressive, but they were they were bugling regularly to where I could pattern them by just listening to them move across the landscape. Prop was it's about three other different groups of hunters figured that out as well. Um, and so opening morning, they were talking to tell everybody went in and boogered them, and then that was it. Everything. But, so we had the disturbance of hunters, but we also had that, that initial kind of weather change where we had a bunch of high-pressure system move in, and it just shut everything down. So September 9th and 10th, they were talking a little bit for us, just in pockets, not not unit-wide, just in a little pocket here or a little pocket there. And then we did, I didn't get into elk that were talking until literally the last couple days of the season. Uh, and when I finally left, there was one that was finally in the pine, finally bugling, uh, behind camp at night, but no, the, the bulk of the season, you could not buy a few. So that was it. Was a bummer. It was a bummer of season. It was a it was a perfect season for 2020. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. It's just 20, 2020 elk season fit right along with the COVID season. Um, what, what, I know you went up to nine and, and saw some of our friends and stuff. What did you hear about nine? Same. Same. I mean, it, and again, you could go around the unit to find pocket, you know, a little here, a little there, but it didn't seem like there was any, it wasn't, you know, that's one thing that in the past I've noticed with nine, because it's so big and because the habitat is so diverse, it's one thing if, you, okay, if you're targeting a giant bull and that giant bull lives in a certain area. Okay, if you're going at that one bull, you stick with him and, okay, maybe it's not, maybe the rut is, is horrible there, but, you know, you can target him and you're, you're going after a water hole or something like that. But if you just want activity, the beautiful thing about nine is there's so many different places you can go, so many different habitats, and it's so big that you literally can have good rain at one end of the unit and no rain on the other end of the you know, so so there's diversity there where you can literally go and, and find the activity, usually. 
from what I heard, the, the friends up there, no, it just it was exactly like what we saw in Seven West, which was exactly the same report that I got from Seven East, which was the exact same thing that there was two guys that were hunting six A, six B that said the same thing. You you might get lucky, or somebody got lucky and stumbled into a bull that was bugling, and he'll bugle for us, you know, like uh, morning and in the evening, and then it's done. Did you see very many bulls actually harvested, you know, camped or anything? No. If you had to guess out of the 150 tags, how many many bulls do you think were shot if you just had to take a guess? I'm going to be generous and say 20. 20 out of 150? I'm going to be generous, Jay. I'm dead serious when I say when 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 we got the first report, Oh, and it's typical. I mean, it was typical. So I, I knew of one guy killed early. Uh, he watched the bull go bed, and it was in a, one of the burn areas and spotty thingy. I, I'll, I, w- I wish I could have met the guy because I would have shake. I would have shaken his hand because this guy flat ninja. I know where he killed the bull, and I know the, the terrain he had to navigate through. So Seven West got a lot of. It's all volcanic uh, geological structure there, so there's a lot of that pumice or lava rock, and the ground it can be stupidly crunchy and loud and it's hard to in some places it's hard to walk well this is where this one guy that i know of that killed a nice bull he still hunted his way not still hunted he stalked his way through that and literally was able to sneak up on this bull and and kill him in his bed the guy the guy shit i don't know who the guy is but i was like holy hell if he did that out there oh my i'd shake his hand so there was one early kill and then Sunday of opening weekend, I know of another guy killed about a mid-340s, maybe up to a 350 bull. He literally sat on a tank that is in the wide open. There's not cover for like a half mile around this tank. They sat down because they were like, ah, you know, we don't you know, we don't know. there's a lot of tracks here. You see because I was pulling my camera from the tank. There were some bulls on it, but they were all coming in the dark, and everything was nocturnal. And there was just cows and calves and, and young bulls. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I, it, it takes a long time to get out here. There's just not the activity. I don't want to beat up the vehicles. Yeah, screw it. I'm going to pull my camera. We'll go somewhere else. I literally talked to the guys. Come come to find out that, yeah, just typical, like, you know, all of a sudden, like 5 o'clock, here comes this bull. Random bull that hadn't been there before. Just walks square. Just, just basically trots right into the water and eats their arrow. They were just <laughs> sitting on the ground. They were just sitting on the ground under the tree. It was like, oh, my word. So there was the second bull that was killed. I think I did see a small raghorn that was leaving on the back of somebody's vehicle. And I heard of another bull that was killed down by the Sitgreaves Mountain, you know, that, that area down the southwest part of the unit. Dude, that's all I know of. Wow. I mean, it, it, was, it was insane. Did you see so any, I, any bulls with your own eyes or any on camera that you were like, wow, that's a big bull? Yeah, I did not get them on my cameras, but talking with some other guys that were, you know, there were some really great people we got to meet this year. Uh, they shared some pictures that they had, and uh, I ended up helping a couple of them out. Um, yeah, they, they had been in there. They lived somewhat locally, so they had been in there monitoring through the, you know, the summer, and they had the pictures of bulls in there that were, were really really good and so and that was also part of the struggle uh, in the places where so okay it's dry the forage is crap 
water was sparse, and there was cattle everywhere. So you could really kind of see the elk were your, your most consistent chance for success was in a couple of different areas because that's where all the elk were. That's where a high percentage of elk were. And you run but in there, all, and you've got your buddies that you've met and people you know, and you don't want to step on people's toes. Well, yeah, number one, number, yeah, absolutely. But number two, there also just happened to be, you know, say in, in that one part of the unit, here's this 380, 390 bowl that started showing up on people's cameras. So everybody that wants a giant bowl is going to bail into there now. And then on another part of the unit, there was another bowl that was in that 370 to 380 you know, range that people knew of. And so you, you end up having this, this mass congregation in certain locales that just, you know, yeah, it just, it, it became tricky. It became tricky. But even then, you're, you're seeing so many people, you're thinking, well, you'd stumble across somebody to kill something. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you, you know, a couple people a couple people did kill their, they, they did fill their cow bag because the cows were coming in really, really regularly. And, I mean, we had a shot. So my guy was a brand spanking new hunter. Uh, he did not care if he killed a spike. He just wanted to, he booked me because he wanted to learn. He wanted to learn to, he wanted to have a rut hunt. He wanted to learn to call. He wanted to, you know, go through all the stuff that was on the elk module and, and kind of really see it in person and, and really, you know, get a one-on-one lesson on how all this works. Well, that ain't work. But we ended up sitting water, and he did have a shot at a small five-point. Uh, missed it clean, but um, yeah, I mean, it just you just didn't even run into people, or you didn't run into carcasses. You just didn't see elk in people's camps. Um, you know, like I said, when I say twenty, I'm I'm being generous. I would really, really love to see what the stat end up being this year. As far as I mean, from, from everywhere, from nine to seven, it doesn't. I'd like to see how bad early archery was across Arizona this year. Yeah, I mean, I got a report from Jason Bond in Unit 10. He was up there for the first week in 10, and he said he heard three bugles the entire week. Um, my nephew, Jay, he, he was fortunate to kill a really nice, almost 360 bull, but said, you know, very, very tough conditions, very little bugling, uh, very little movement. So, I mean... Uh, reports are trickling in. I, I talked to Mike Hancock with Burnt Timber Outfitters. Uh, he said probably the worst season in 3C that he's ever seen uh, as far as bugling and activity. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's widespread. I, I haven't talked to him yet, but a few people in, that hunted nine said it was uh, just very, very difficult. So, I mean, it's just yeah. one of those years that, you know, I think we point our fingers out of dry monsoon and it just shows that, you know, you get hot conditions, you get dry conditions and you get dry monsoons, you know, they're just not going to be super fired up. Well, it, no, that's exactly it. it. And then couple that with it, I'm starting to really try to tease this out. Now I won't go into all the weeds on it because I, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even have all the weeds identified in, in this concept yet, but a long time ago, I heard someone say that bull, it, bulls don't like the bugle in high pressure, like if you got a high pressure system coming through. And I was like, that's a bunch of crap. You know, and that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, you know what? I think I might be wrong. Because, you know, and I talk about this all the time on my stuff, 
you know, people ask all the time, well, when do I know how much to call or this? And, and you know, I, you always hear people talk about, you know, take the temperature of, of, of the of the environment you're in. So there's days where the birds are singing, they're flying all over the place, the squirrels are running around, dropping pine cone bombs out of the trees, and just everything is alive. You know those days you're just like, yeah. man, it just feels great. And then there's other days where you don't want to step on wet grass because it's going to be too loud. Right. There's not... There's not a, it's like the forest is sterile. There's not a, there's not an animal. There's not a bird. There's, there's nothing out there moving. I mean, this is dead. And that literally, but so September 11th, when, when opening day came, that high pressure, those high pressure systems started to roll through and just stack on top of one another. And it literally shut all wildlife activity down like nothing was moving and then all of a sudden we get a little break and we get a little little brief little low pressure move through and all of a sudden boom oh there's a bugle oh the birds are singing today oh wait we're sitting at a tank and you know you can one day you sit a tank and you don't see a single bird coming into the water and then another day we get a little low pressure roll through and all of a sudden that thing is just lit up with activity there i mean that was the other thing that was amazing this year is the number of bears that we saw in seven west and there was an absolute giant and he's a seven foot bear easy uh giant in there but everything would be alive when we had that little tiny break in the weather and then all of a sudden here we go back to a, a high pressure system dominated weather pattern and it just shut down again so now i know not all high pressures are all the same I mean, you can have different levels of high pressure and that's what i kind of need to start teasing out uh there's some folks uh the drury brothers that do a lot of whitetail stuff, they've actually teased out a lot of uh, the pressure system and how it affects whitetails. So I'm going to kind of dive into some of what they've done and see how much can, that I can find with a parallel with elk. But I think that was also part of the deal. Yes, it's dry. But we've had dry years before. Yes, it is, you know, the forage is, is just crap. Okay? We've had those before. You know what I mean? But yeah. you still could find pockets of activity. This year, I think we had a, a perfect storm of just crap vegetation conditions that suppressed cow body condition, and then you have those weather cycles that come right in on it, and just just basically grind it in the dirt. So, I mean, Chris, have you have you talked to anybody now that the rifle season has kicked off? How how things are going now? I've, I've chatted with a few guys, not on podcast, um, but they, a lot of people have said there's been way more activity on these early rifle hunts than on the archery hunts and finally getting some bulls bugling, cooler temperatures at night, uh, even though it's warm in the day. Uh, you know, Dar's hunting with his son in, in a great unit in Arizona 23, and, you know, the, as of this morning, they had not killed a bull. You know, Wednesday, tomorrow's the last day. Uh, he said it was, you know, 90 degrees and very, you know, very, very little bugling. Um, I, I, Mike Hancock said that, you know, in 3C and in, in Unit 1, the last couple days, they got some more bugling. Uh, so, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see kind of how, how it all plays out. Um, you know, and I think the guys with the late rifles, you know, tags are probably licking their chops because I, I think the antler group... Oh you know, is good, but they didn't break as much. They didn't fight as much. Um, you yep. know, where normally on those late hunts, 
guys are really worried about broken points. I don't think that will be as much of a factor this year. I agree. I agree. The late rifle, I, those, yeah, I agree. They have got to be just getting, I mean, bringing their hands like, oh, baby, come on, because I think they're going to have to pick the litter on what they want to shoot out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've um, we've kind of been fighting a lot of smoke here in Colorado. We've got another fire um, not too far away, so it's really, really smoky. It was clear this morning, but I could see the smoke kind of coming, and um, it's it's really socked in here this afternoon. I'm sitting on a mountaintop uh, talking to you here in my truck. But, uh, yeah, we've, you know, like most everybody across the West, the, the smoke has been a big factor uh, this year. Um, but we've had really, yeah. really good bugling here um, at the ranch, and um, uh, it's it's been a good good season here. I actually, this today was my 30th day in a row. We, uh, Hunter and I, we didn't take a single day off and did 30 days in a row and um, have ha- had a, had a good uh, season here at Ot Six, so that that's, well, that's it, positive. Yeah, exactly. It looked like you had. I mean, that's what I was kind of seeing. I didn't have great. I thought I picked camp strategically to where I had good cell reception, but what I found out is that I mean, the cell reception. I I think I was getting modulated because as soon as everybody piled in, like I couldn't get any reception, and then like at three in the morning, I could do whatever I want. I could watch. I could stream video. <laughs> no one was out, but uh, I did see. I have been watching some of your pictures that you've been posting, which has been pretty darn cool. Uh, yeah, so so you guys did not have much of a monsoon either, correct? Yeah, we didn't have uh, very much monsoonal rain, but I don't know if you know that. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at the date, but about the first week of September, we actually had. Um, anywhere from eight to fourteen inches of snow that came in that freak storm, yeah. you know, widespread over the ranch, and then it warmed up after that. And to be honest with you, the country just really took to it, and and it greened up really good. Um, and you know, once once they started, you know, greening up, uh, they just started bugling like crazy, and now they're just, you know, they're fighting like crazy and breaking points and. Um, I videoed a bull yesterday that had a, a tine stuck in its neck. You'll have to check out the video. Um, and he's just bugling and carrying on like nothing. And he's, I thought it was an arrow when I first saw it. And it turned out to be a, a tine from another bull. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of one of my questions. You guys, do you have your lower pastures, your, your, they're not really ag fields, but you got the irrigated you know, the, the past, so you've got really, you've got some good forage there um, throughout that valley, even when it is somewhat dry. So I, I kind of suspected that, you know, your body, your cow body condition is probably pretty good, uh, despite the fact that you got the dry condition. So I was wondering if you guys were going to actually pick up a little quicker than, than some of the other folks did, but um, yeah, and yeah, I don't I was, think I, our monsoon, or, you know, I don't think our summer rains are as much of a factor as Arizona because, you know, I feel like we just had a, a kind of a lackluster um, uh, winter moisture, but it, it greened up early enough that everything kind of was fine. And then, you know, we did get a few showers here and there, and, you know, it seems seems to be a normal season. Um, and they're just, you know, with this full moon, they're just, you know, going crazy all night and fighting and rutting and breaking and you know doing their thing um but obviously they don't get 
they don't get the pressure. And I think pressure has a lot to do with, you know, them being uh, vocal or not vocal. I, I, I've, I've, I'm pretty convinced that pressure has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I will say this, and, and I would be very curious, because you've got, I mean, obviously you talk to a heck of a lot about this, um, and you've got friends from just decades of being that loud, you know, living there and everything else. Here's something that I picked, uh, well, I, I noticed on my cameras this year, and, and I'm glad to see now, you know, you've started doing a lot of, you know, running your game cameras on video mode. Because, you, I mean, it's, it's just fun to watch them when you're on video. But you can learn a lot on, you know, as well. And here's something that just blew me away. And I would like to hear if anybody that's listening to this has any feedback and whether you think I'm out to lunch or if you think there might be something to this. Because I ran my, so I, did, I threw out a couple game cameras on water just because that's what we were going to have to do. And I just wanted to know what we were dealing with, which direction are the elk coming in from, what time are they coming in, and what, what, are the, what, are they, what do they look like. Again, my guy did not care if it was a spike, if it was a four-point, didn't matter. So I ran video, and I started to see something that absolutely blew me away. So when we're talking about water, for everybody that's not familiar with Arizona, Wildlife trick tanks or a wildlife water, okay, there's there, the Arizona uh, Game of Fish and the Arizona Elk Society uh, do a great job of establishing and maintaining just sources of water for wildlife. Cattle are not allowed to use it. And there are a bunch of different versions, styles of these wildlife drinkers. There's one style that's called it's essentially like a step in. Tank. Now, again, in Arizona, everything's called a tank. If there's water in it, it's called a tank. So the step-in tank, and basically what it is, imagine a, a, imagine a shoebox made out of steel that's like, I don't know, 10, 15 long by 10, 15 wide or whatever. Big steel box, and in one quarter of that box, there is a ramp that goes all the way to the bottom of the box. It's got little, you know, little uh, great uh, seal on there so that, you know, animals have, you know, good traction with their hooves and everything. But the box fills up with water, and when the, when the box is full of water, the water at the drinker is right there at the top. But as the water goes down inside that, that storage tank, the level of the water goes down, and so those animals have to, they learn to walk down into, they step in to that wildlife drinker to get water well in seven west in nine it seems like a lot of the wildlife water is has been updated to more of a modern style to where the storage tanks are off at one spot and then there's a, a, a pipe that comes underground or and then it just goes to this little tiny catchment that the animals drink out of and that little catchment is only maybe a foot deep or so but it's always at the same level. As long as there's water in the main reservoir tank, the water in the little drinker is always at the same level, and it's right there ready and available. But 7 West, it seemed like there was a bunch of the older-style step-in tank, and the water level in those, unless uh, Dan, I feel, for the Arizona Elk Society, he was out there every day, seven days a week, just running water. Unless he filled it, 
most of those drinkers had maybe one, two, three inches of water at the bottom. And literally, you've seen this, Jay, where it becomes this situation where everybody is running their own water. You know, so you got a 50-gallon drum, and you're going filling it up and then dumping water in the place just to just keep the elk around. If you take pictures, still photographs from your game cameras, all you're going to see is a picture of a cow or a picture of a spike or a picture of a bull standing there. Well, that's one thing. But when you run video, and I run it for, you know, I have my little browning cameras, and I'll put it on a one-minute video clip, and then I put it on, uh, you know, intelligent video or smart video where it says, if, basically what it does is as long as there's movement in front of that camera, it'll just keep rolling video. So some of my video clips are, you know, a couple minutes long. What I noticed was we had a pile of animals coming up to those step-in style drinkers that had no idea on how to get water out of them. They just walked in circles around and around and around and were looking and smelling and looking and smelling and walking around. And then they literally would go to the, the deep end, essentially, and literally lay on the ground and try to reach their head down in, trying to get the water. And then they stand back up and walk around. And they, they, they kneel down and lay down and try to... They had no idea how to step into that tank to get the water. Which suggests to me... They don't live there. Otherwise, they would have figured it out, right? Right. So where were they coming from? And then the other thing I noticed was like, okay, well, hold on a minute. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm getting elk on, on this on this tank all the time. I'm like, okay, but, and I did. I asked everybody, asked, I said, did, have you got any pictures of them physically getting a drink? No. Okay. That's good information to have, number one. Number two, you just have a snapshot of a cow, a cat, or a spike, whatever. But when I sit there and watch the video, I look at it, I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That cow's got a tiny little notch out of her ear. The next night, the cow that shows up, okay, she doesn't. That's a different cow. Or these calves, okay, these calves are, are tiny. Oh, and actually... If you watch it, she's got a little blemish on her left side or her right side, or there's a remnant spot here or whatever. And then the next time you get a picture on the tank, okay, well, there's two calves. Well, that's great, but they're different calves. And then you go to the next tank, and so we had, I had cameras on several tanks in a, a particular region, and all of a sudden I'm getting, I'm getting these animals on these tanks in progression. So they showed up on, on the, one on the east, and then they were on the middle tank, and then they were on the West Tank, and I never got them again. They're moving through. So how through. much, they're, they're, they're just moving the land, they're just, they're, I mean, wandering the landscape, looking for food and water. So, to really, you, so part of that, you go, holy You crap. almost start I mean, feeling sorry for them, don't you? Oh, dude, I'm like, dude, there, there was one tank, there, there was one a little water source that, that they were actually getting water out, and I, I'm sitting there looking at it, and I'm like, that's going to dry up. So I, I did. I felt bad. I'm like, man, I just kind of want to, and I didn't, you know, this year I didn't bring a big water tank for myself because, I mean, it's a new year, and I wasn't going to waste time on trying to figure out, you know, I just didn't bring water tank. But now I'm, I'm you know, at that, I'm like, yeah, now it's, I just, I do. I just want to go fill it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I mean, how bad is it? And so I don't know if a lot of people realized how much movement was going on out there to where, yes, just because you're getting animals on camera doesn't mean that they might Live be, there. yeah, stationary there. They, right. You got a picture of you got a picture of a, a, a group of cows and calves coming into the tank, and that cow, that group of cows and calves left. And you're getting new groups each day, but they're not bedding in the same spot. They're not on a on a particular uh, or a, a predictable pattern. They're just moving through. And so some of these people, I think, were out there spinning their wheels, not realizing that. Wait a minute, no, these are different elk moving through, and they're just searching. Right. So I, I don't know. Again, this is I, I, this is my first experience with it. It was a, a handful of videos, that, and I mean, it was clear that that's what was happening. But I don't know how widespread that is. And I'd be very curious to know if anybody else has stumbled on to maybe that pattern as well. Because, A, I think that's a great argument to start updating some of these water tanks to say, okay, maybe maybe we need to start phasing out the step-in tank because of years like these. But the other thing that I thought was pretty fascinating from a behavior standpoint was you would think that a lot of new animals moving through a region, mixing, would cause them to to talk, vocalize, bugle more because they're trying to figure out who's who. Where is everybody on the landscape? So how bad was it that we have this movement and still no vocalizations going on? Again, though, I think, I think they know they feel that pressure of so much pressure. They realize that they just, I think just, it hinders them from vocalizing, yeah. and they've got to just go in survival mode. And, and correct, uh, yeah. So it's it, you know one and, of the and things I don't know. we run the video. We probably have you know two hundred cameras, and I'll bet you fifty or more, maybe seventy five or video. And I love. I get to where I only want to run the video cam and we do 30 second videos on those stealth cams. And it's amazing how much you learn from watching their body language. Um, you know, for me, I get to really look at their body size, um, how, how mature they are. And that's one thing watching a lot of these videos, um, you really pick up and can kind of really categorize and kind of classify, you know, the age class, not necessarily like that's a three-year-old, that's a four-year-old, that's a five-year-old, but like that's kind of a younger elk. Whereas sometimes yep. a picture, it's just you can't really see all of that. Yeah, they, you can't watch how they carry themselves. Right. How do they move? How do they carry their head? You know, it, it, you're right. You're gonna A younger animal is going to be a little bit different than a middle-aged animal, and it's going to be a lot different than what an older animal is. Yep. And you absolutely can see these things. You can start to tease these things out. Um, and the other thing too is, you know, watching you know here in Seven West, or in Seven West is you get a picture, and that's fine. But is that elk coming into that tank just completely relaxed and just moseying in and lingering around the tank and just you know spending time, or is he just like on pins and needles and he's he's in? He's, and he checks it, and he's out. He just, he, he just like, you see on the video, you're like, oh, my gosh. These guys are, they're they're making a mad dash in, they're grabbing a little something, and they're out. They're just you're gone. We're, we're not lingering. Yeah, necessity. I couple, yeah. yeah, I had a couple pictures of lions out. I had lions on camera, which I haven't had before. I had 
multiple bears on cameras, which I hadn't had before, and then you couple that with a bunch of people, goodness gracious, like you said, they're in survival mode. Yeah. Um, Chris, I got to get up to my glassing point to glass for this evening. Um, but, but I want to catch uh, or find out what your plan is moving forward as far as um, whitetails on your plate. What, what are you doing right now? So, yeah, just getting ready to go. I, we are a brutal drought as well. Um, I planted half of my food plot in August as a hedge on a, on a bet just to whether or not we were going to get rain. We did. So the stuff that I planted actually did okay however uh we are brutally dry still so i don't even know if i'm going to be able to to i can drill it but i don't know if it's going to grow um but we've got some guys i lost chris there uh but thanks for listening to the podcast it's always great having chris of row hunting resources on the podcast and i'm going to go head glassing here for the evening so thanks for listening